You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. This episode is sponsored by the new cohort of the Leadership Experience, unconventional leadership brought to you by yours truly, the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos. Our new cohort is starting soon. And not only do we still have the same four courses, that's right, the public thought leadership track, the career leader track, the entrepreneurship track, and of course the podcast experience, we have our first graduate level up level, inimitable, the newest one-on-one leadership class this is for not only if you have taken the leadership experience core class before and are ready to graduate to the newest level but for those that have experienced leadership and want to take it to a new level inimitable is for you i'm not even going to talk about it in this commercial you're gonna have to contact me check out the leadership exp.com for details and to sign up for information inimitable is coming at you dm me for more info later guys Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Woo! Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the launch cast. Episode 203, I still got goosebumps. You know this is your favorite podcast out there. We are here with episode 203, The Golden Entrepreneur. I cannot wait for you guys to check out this episode. But first, you know this intro. We got to do the whole thing, the whole shebang. So here we go. It's the launch dad himself bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. It's true. It's damn true. As the beat drops. Into the black hole. What is happening, everybody? It's George Andriopoulos back with another episode. We are in season two, episode 203, and we're back to interviews, right? We're back to interviews. We had our, our special uh, uh, season opener. It was the holiday giving episode. We did some really, really cool stuff and we had a whole bunch of people live on the show. Uh, and then last week we went a little bit different, right? We had to talk about some important things, uh, important things happening in this country right now. And, uh, yeah, that was, it was a heavy episode, but we're back to our interviews. We are back talking to leaders and I have been so excited to get this dude right here on the show. Uh, So I'm gonna do the intro first and then I'll bring him on. Today's episode, The Golden Entrepreneur, it's called that for a reason. We have Dr. Bruce Golden on today. Bruce is the definition of an entrepreneur, a self-made success who in over a 30-year career in practicing dentistry, Dr. Golden created vitamin paste toothpaste, one of the biggest innovations in oral care, a toothpaste for adults that delivers extra vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants every time they brush. After the success of vitamin paste adult, Dr. Golden sought to provide an answer to his patient's perennial question of what the best toothpaste was for their kids, eventually creating vitamin paste kids and there's so much more to the story i can't wait for you guys to hear it bruce is married and lives on long island with his wife marla uh three uh, well i'm gonna ask him about how many kids i think it's three kids i don't know if it's two or three but i'm gonna bring him on right now there he is what's happening bruce i'm good man i'm good thanks so much for coming up is it two kids or three kids Three kids, three boys. Three boys, three boys. There we go. Okay. Uh, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. I've been excited about having you on. We, we talked uh, last season when I was doing the show, but we, we had so many uh, guests booked, and I wanted to get you on uh, and be able to tell not only the story of uh, you know your endeavors and what you do, but you have some really cool family history, and we're, we'll, we'll get to all that. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to start the way we start all of these interviews, right? The first question we ask every leader on the show is, Bruce, are you a leader? Uh, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I think I am. Um, I like uh, 
starting things, uh, a lot of things that I've started I knew nothing about. Uh, this toothpaste is one of those things. Um, like you said before, I'm a dentist. Uh, and I always like to uh, invent things, start things. And, and um, this is one of them. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. Yeah, and uh, it's going well. Getting into all the stores, getting to more stores. Just do. Uh, we just uh, are doing a big uh, Amazon sell uh, now, and uh, it's going pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit more about leadership before we jump into the story. So, um, you know, you, you, you talked about being an inventor, creating things and, and, uh, knowing your life story and, and, uh, family history. Um, I see that it runs, it runs in your blood, I think. Um, in, in terms of, of business leadership, what is your definition of a leader? Um, somebody that thinks out of the box. I would say is, is the main thing. Uh, somebody that sees uh, something that nobody else sees. And it could be something really simple, like vitamins and toothpaste. And I know you're going to get up to it soon, but um, my father invented Snapple. Um, so uh, he, was, he was a true leader and entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, I can go into that if you want me to yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so let's start at the beginning. So I, I know you grew up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, um, right. dad, Hyman Golden, mom, Mitzi Golden, and you had a, a one, one brother and one sister, right? Right. Okay. Um, so, so when we talked earlier, you describe growing up as humble beginnings. Can you sort of set the scene for what life looked like growing up for you? Um, it was a real, uh, Brooklyn life, we call it. It's uh, something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, there were, uh, we didn't have money. We had uh, just a, a regular house. My father was a window cleaner. So um, he was out most of the early morning and most of the day washing windows in the Bronx. Uh, him, and his, uh, him and my uncle uh, both did that. And uh, we both lived in Brooklyn. And you know, we had just, we had a great time as, as, as a child. I, I loved growing up there. Uh, it's a lot different uh, than how my kids grew up uh, out in Long Island. But, um, you know, we just, you know, everything was family. Um, had a lot of friends out there. Everybody was pretty much in the same boat over there in Brooklyn. Um, we just tried to survive. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to get into, uh, your dad's story in, in a little bit, but, uh, you know, you grew up in Brooklyn. Eventually you attended NYU for your liberal arts and graduated in 78, I believe, and then moved on to Fairleigh Dickinson in Hackensack, New Jersey, where you studied dentistry and became a doctor of dental medicine and also received a master's in anatomy. Um, was there a reason why you chose dentistry? You know, uh, my father always told me that, you know, being a professional, having a, a profession, which, you know, he never, my father never went to school. Uh, he was a high school dropout. And he always respected uh, the doctors and dentists in the area. Uh, you know, the, the schooling that they, they went through. And he, always, he, always, he always looked up to professionals. And, and uh, a couple of my friends would become dentists. And I figured I'd give it a whirl. So uh, that's pretty much what I went for. Yeah. And now um, my, uh, my, my son is going to be a dentist, too. You, say it again. One of my sons is going for dental school now. Very cool. Very cool. How, how old are your sons now? Uh, one's 30, one's 29, and one's 24. So uh, once you graduated, you started practicing, and eventually you bought an office from a retiring dentist. I think you said he was practicing for 45 years at that location in the Bronx. Um, operated that for about 10 years and then sold the practice. And I think based on the story, this is sort of the beginning of your entrepreneurial strategy going forward, or at least that's that's kind of the way I see it from the outside looking in. Um, what made you want to sell the practice? First question. Um. It was in a pretty rough area of the Bronx. It was a good area, but the 
Bronx Stadium was kind of changing. Um, I bought the building also mm-hmm. uh, uh, from the dentist, from the retiring dentist, along with his practice. And uh, I did very well there, made a lot of money there. Uh, and I was offered a, a nice, nice price, not only for the practice, uh, but the building. So I sold out then. And then I, I sought out um, another location, which was uh, in Howard Beach, Queens. Yeah. Well, nice in it. Yeah. Um, did, <laughs> you know, I know that, that this becomes a strategy when you, when you, you know, build a solid business or build a solid product and then build it to a level where it's worth something. Uh, and then eventually you're able to, to sell it off, make a profit and then move on. Did building and selling appeal to you from the onset of your career or was it something that you sort of learned along the way? Well, you know, having the practice in the Bronx, uh, it was good that the practice was there already because I needed the help uh, of another dentist, uh, you know, for experience of just doing um, dental procedures. Um, I also changed the building around a little bit. It took me about two years to get a CFO and made it like three floors and, and fixed it up pretty good. Um, and then, you know, it made it easier to, to start the second practice. The second practice, I was taking a, a ride down across the Boulevard in Howard Beach, which is mainly uh, an Italian and a Jewish neighborhood, a very nice neighborhood of Queens. And I saw this building for sale. It was an old uh, electric union uh, building. And they were in foreclosure, and I bought it from the government. And... Um, I wasn't going to start a dental office in the beginning, but the more I I, was, I, I saw the neighborhood, I liked the neighborhood, um, I thought it would be a great place to, to start a dental practice. So I bought, the, I bought the building, I renovated the building, I took the whole second floor of the building, I made a beautiful dental practice, and I opened up the doors one day, and I was in business. There was no practice there. I started from scratch, and um, I, I think the first year, I... I I, I did pretty good. Yep. I, I was like, I think I, I did just as well as my last year from, from the Bronx. Um, so, and I had that for a few years. And then I sold that to my brother-in-law, who's the dentist, too. And uh, I just wanted to do other things after that. Yeah. So uh, and I still own the building. Yes. So. Yeah. So I want to I wanna shift for a second because um, – uh, you know, in seeing your entrepreneurial practices and, and the success that you've had, um, I, I'm curious um, how much of it was learned, how much of it, how much of it was just innate in you, uh, and how much of it you saw. Um, you know, not, not not I don't want to say growing up, but a, as a young man just starting his career, uh, I want to talk for a second about um, about your dad and his story. So, uh, your dad, Hyman Golden, he was born in Passaic, New Jersey. Um, I think this is the information I got to an immigrant father from Romania, right? Is that right? And grew up in middle village, Queens, um, raised by his father and, uh, his mother passed away when he was just four. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. He never knew his mother. Yeah. Um, served in the United States air force. Um, he had little formal education and one of his early jobs you mentioned before was a window washer for his father. And by the age of 40, he graduated from window washing to brokering, window washing businesses, right? Right. right. Yeah. Um, entrepreneur yeah. And you could see it from the onset, especially coming from me- meager beginnings and just being able to build uh, a business and, and not only build it, but be able to become a broker of window washing businesses. Right. You kind of see where yeah. that, uh, where that yeah, comes that was, from. That was, uh, you know, um, people, you know, think of, let's say Snapple nowadays, you know, the owners of Snapple, you're thinking of these like big corporate guys, you know, the suits and everything. My father was so the opposite of that. He was a common guy, a street guy, a real street guy. Um, didn't talk like a corporate guy, didn't like corporate guys, just a, a real street guy. He knew, knew how to work the street also. You know, uh, back in the day, um, you know, he, he'd get up like two in the, two in the morning, get to work by three, four o'clock, start washing the windows. In in the winter, it would be freezing cold. He'd have to stick his hands in a, in a cold, uh, you know, a pail of cold water. Um, and he just knew how to work the street. And 
when my uncle uh, graduated high school, um, he went in with my father on that uh, Bronx uh, route. Um, and then after a few years, you know, a lot of different things happened, but but after a few years, um, my father took one further and there was no real union at that time for window cleaners and nobody would secure the routes. So if like somebody bought a route, you know, they bought like let's say these 10 blocks in the Bronx, you'd buy it from somebody, that was your route, yep. nobody else could work on that route. Uh, but there was no enforcement, you know, there was no union. So, so people would break the route, they, you know, he'd get somebody else's. If, if, if a store wanted to save a couple of bucks, they'd get somebody cheaper. But what my father did, and we saw a need for it uh, with all the window because he knew all the window cleaners. It was, it was a small group of people. And um, well, he, he saw the need for, you know, to secure the routes and to, and to uh, to, to have a way of, of putting together routes and, and the different routes and different areas and who would buy them, how they would buy them, different routes. So my father took on that position. And within a few years, he wasn't washing windows. He was the guy, he was the broker. If you wanted to buy a window cleaning route in New York and New Jersey, you had to go through my phone. Wow. Yeah. And he would uh, share them. And um, he knew just how to buy and sell them, you know. And he get he get money from 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 the buyer. He get from the seller. Sometimes he would take a piece of the action as part of you know sure. as part of you know, he knew how to make money. Yeah. And uh, he you know and, and then things started getting better. So for the little house in Brooklyn that we lived in, uh, with an old shitty car. Uh, all of a sudden, one day, my father pulls up in a uh, in a brand new Cadillac. I remember with the fins in the back, uh-huh. and it, we were the only one on the street with a Cadillac like that. So all of a sudden, like you know, as a, as a young boy, I saw you know, like our family, you know, moving up, yeah. you know, and like maybe the neighborhood was, you know, we we could go to a different neighborhood, or maybe we could, you know. Um, Upgrade kind of thing. Yeah. But I saw that happening. And then he, he wouldn't wear the clothes he'd wear. He'd wear better clothes, you know, because he was talking to, to all the, the window cleaners and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. That, that's amazing to hear that. Um, I'm curious because I was going to get into now that in 1972, he had saved a little bit of money and they started, he co founded the unadulterated food products uh, juice business um, right. where he would sell fruit juices to health food stores. But during that time, what happened with the whole window washing thing? Was he still operating that? He still owned a lot of them because he made the good deals. Uh, so, you know, he wouldn't be washing the windows anymore. Sure. But he uh, he owned a piece of each one, and he'd still buy and sell. You'd have to go to him to do that. How long did he continue that for, you know, along the whole Snapple journey? Uh, it's, funny, it's funny you ask me because – he kind of never gave it up, but when Snapple was hot and it was the main thing, you know, and they're just running away and just, just getting like bigger and bigger, they really didn't do much with the window cleaning anymore. Uh, but the day they sold Snapple and they sold it for like uh, $1.7 billion back in, in the 90s, I'd say the next day, he was back with his friends, his window friends, and he was buying and selling routes again. That's amazing. <laughs> he didn't. He really didn't. He really didn't care about the money. It was about the money. Yeah. He was happiest. I mean, you know, I mean, after the after the after the deal with Quaker Road, I mean, uh, you know, he had all the money in the world, everything didn't make him happy. But if he sold a route, he made himself a thousand dollars. And one of the window cleaners, that was the best thousand made all year. That's great. That's great. Um, so let's get deeper into it. So so he started he co-founded that company along with uh, uh, Leonard Marsh, your your uncle, and Arnold Greenberg, uh, who himself right. operated a health food store in Manhattan's East Village. Um, right. they were childhood friends, right? Uh Lenny was childhood friends with Arnie. 
Got it. And then when my mother, uh, when uh, my father met my mother, he met Lenny, and then they all hung out. Got it. So your dad was uh, chairman and handled, handled the money raising and the distribution agreements. Uh, Lenny was the chief executive, and then Arnie was the chief operating officer. Um, so from what I read, they tinkered with a few flavors. They argued over packaging. But I, I did read stuff where Lenny said that any arguing never left the office, right? As soon as they left the office, it was all good. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time with my uncle, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, they would argue. They'd have their, they'd have their times. They really yeah. would. I left the office one, a few times. Like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, uh, I mean, they were close. And with my uncle, I met, you know, when I was growing up, in Apple days, I mean, every Sunday in, in, the, uh, in the summer, all the kids would get their cousins. And you know, we, we were very close to yeah. Yeah. Um, so the iced tea line, that's sort of what changed Snapple, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. The, before it, um, well, it started out as LNA Juice Company, uh, where they made uh, fruit juices, like apple juice. They're all like organic um, juices. They, that's what was sold in the health store. That's how they got to it. Um, but, um, you know, the, the first. The, the first, they, once they changed the name to Snapple, they started making these sodas. Uh, they were all natural sodas, unadulterated sodas, where there was no uh, food, food coloring in them. So they all looked like seltzer. Mm -hmm. uh, but they had a cola and an orange, right, all that kind of stuff. So they, they sold the sodas, uh, apple juices, all different types of juices. They also came out with apple butter, uh, all kind of salad dressings, tomato ketchup, Mustard, mayonnaise. I remember just you know, all this, and all the natural kind of thing. And it so, but they were just like looking for new products, you know, kind of looking and looking and looking. And uh, they did that for many years. It took, it took like I'd say from 1972 till like 1987. I think in '87 when they came out with the ice to drink. Yeah, ice that's what tea. I read. So that was a long time. It didn't happen overnight. You know, it was a long time. And when they came out with the first ready-to-drink iced tea, and before that, you had, to tea, you had to make it. You had to take powder and the right. And nobody ever thought that. And, 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 you know, it was so simple. Um, and they came out with that. And we just once that happened, within three years, I mean, they were doing crazy numbers. And uh, then everybody stopped tapping it, you know, with their own brand. Yeah. But, so, uh, so, so here's the fun part. So, as a company, they grew exponentially, uh, and then they were bought out by Thomas H. Lee Company in 1992 for 140 million. But the three original partners retained a one-third share of the company, which had annual sales of 100 million the prior year. The company went public in December of '92 for ten dollars per share. Split $20. two for one in 93. It was $20 a share. $20 a share. Oh, okay. Um, split two for one in 93 was bought out by the Quaker Oats Company in November 94 for $1.7 uh, Right. With uh, $1.1 paying with the, paying for the 68, oh, sorry, with $1.1 billion paying for the 68% share in the firm held by Thomas H. Lee Company and then the original partners. So, um, this is the, this is the part that interests me. So I've, I've one question about that in terms of the running. So in between the whole, uh, Thomas H Lee and then Quaker Oats thing, what was your dad's role, uh, at that point? Did he have a role still in the company? Yeah, they, they, uh, Tom Lee was just the guy that, you know, put the deal together, took him public, uh, and put the deal together uh, and got it sold. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, he, he let he let everybody continue running the business. He had nothing to do with the business. Yeah, you know, he, he remained the chairman until '95, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what was cool about Snapple and why this was so? When I found, <laughs> I knew you for years before I even knew about this whole Snapple thing. And, and Bruce and I know each other, guys. I'm, like uh, the, I'm not a showy guy. I don't like to show up. <laughs> 
Bruce and I know each other guys from, uh, uh, of course, his company Vitamin Paste and uh, uh, my company Launchpad and Vitamin Paste uh, work together. Um, I did marketing work for for Vitamin Paste. So um, being of a marketing mindset and seeing how the beverage industry changed in the early 90s, that to me was was crazy because you had like Pepsi had Michael Jackson, uh, Coca-Cola had Coke had gone from this whole new Coke thing that they were trying out, which sort of shit the bed. And then they went to the Coca-Cola classic and then that skyrocketed the company. And here comes Snapple, this like nobody company with just good product. First of all, that was innovative. And then I think it was 93 when, when they introduced Wendy, the Snapple lady, which became just a, a, a pop culture phenomenon years later. I think that was, think that was before uh, with, with her. You know, she was like, she was a secretary, by the way. And uh, she used to, um, like, read the, the mail that came in. And nobody, you know, they didn't post the mail. You know, and she went with it. And she, uh, you know, she returned their mail. And, and then she, she went to my, my father and said, listen, you should do something with this. And, Put her on TV and shame. Wendy the Snap Lady. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Little things like that. They they can totally change. Um, so of course Quaker Oats um purchased company for one point seven billion. Um but you know, he he sort of had to watch as Quaker Oats botched combining the company with its own operations, uh, and then later off sold it off for only three hundred million and in the process turned Snapple or what they did with Snapple uh, into a failed acquisition, you know, and then years later, you know, the, the company changed hands several times over the years and is now part of Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Snapple group. Um, of course, you know, your dad and his partners having nothing to do with that part of it. Um, how did he feel about that once it changed over to, to Quaker Oats and, and they sort of shit the bed with the brand? Well, you know what they did um, when they took over, um, they immediately got rid of my father and they got uh, rid of Bonnie. They kept Lanny. Um, you know, he was the uh, the talker. It was like a, a good bullshitter, by the way. Yeah. But um, he was, they kept him on for them. And uh, I think they only kept him on for a year or so. But uh, they got rid of one snap lady. They got rid of Howard Stern. You know, Howard Stern put him on the Yep. If it wasn't for Howard Stern, the company would have never made it. He put him on. He put him on the map, and um, they got rid of him. And then Howard started talking bad about Snap all of a sudden. Um, so just everything turned into, you know, what, what it turned into, and uh, and you know they took a one point four billion dollar loss a year, and. Uh, I think they fired all the guys that were involved in the deal. It's like 20 guys that were involved in Snapple there. They fired them all after. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so so I want to move on. So so knowing you for these last few years, hearing your story, um, you know, I could sort of see that your dad's professional journey had a big influence on your professional journey. Um, in terms of you know, what I see in you, your will to succeed, your persistence uh, in success and entrepreneurships, and of course, the results that you've always gotten in your businesses. Um, what kind of effect do you think, you know, that whole journey uh, over the years, going from meager beginnings to what your dad did with Snapple, what kind of effect do you think that had on how you looked at business? Well, you know, my father um, was a little controlling when I was, when I was a kid, and he would go to meetings with the window cleaners uh, when I was a kid. And he would meet him in the International Hotel in Kennedy Airport. That was his, uh, his so-called office in the lobby. Uh, and it would be like a nice day on a Saturday in the summer. And my father would drag me along and just hang out with him. Everybody yeah. was in stick ball on the street. And I had to go to my father to listen to him, you know, uh, talk to all these guys. But, but, you know, looking back, over the years, uh, spending so much time with him. not only with the company, uh, but the start of the Snapple and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You spend a lot of time now with him. Um, I really got a good feel of how, you know, he made things happen, how he talked to people, and he talked to them on their level. That was one thing. It's like, it's not like 
you talk to these big corporate guys and you got to sit there and look a certain way and talk a certain way. With him, my father would talk to a window cleaner or, you know, just anybody, a porter, where we're from, and everybody was the same. And he did that in Snap also years later. Um, he was very good to himself. I don't think he ever fired anybody. Maybe he got mad at them and cursed them a little bit. Yeah. But um, he was very good to himself, and people appreciate that. And uh, I think that's what the uh, was was uh, successful. Yeah. And uh, you know, as seeing all that, I tried being the same way. Yeah. Hey, Fabrizio. Come here. I got to talk to you in private. I don't know how to tell you this, dude, but your breath is kicking, man. What? No, I'm not trying to be rude. No, what kind of toothpaste are you using anyway? Uh, you know what you should? You need to use that new joint, that vitamin paste. Incredible. You know what? I'm going to let the founder, Dr. Bruce Golden, tell you all about it. Hello, this is Dr. Golden. I am a dentist and would like to introduce you to my new multivitamin and mineral supplement toothpaste called Vitamin Paste. Vitamin Paste makes getting extra vitamins and minerals easy every time you brush your teeth. Vitamin Paste also whitens teeth, fights tartar, freshens breath, is fluoride free, and tastes great. Supplement your smile with Vitamin Paste toothpaste. Okay. You know what, Fabrizio? I, 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 I think you should definitely use this, but there's more. Your son, Fabrizio Jr., also needs some vitamin supplements in his toothpaste. So let me close this off by giving you the Vitamin Paste Kids commercial. Vitamin Paste Adult and Vitamin Paste Kids available everywhere. Toothpaste is sold pretty much, and especially on Amazon. Go check it out. Links are going to be in the show notes. Here we go. Early in the morning, brush my teeth with vitamin toothpaste. It got my mouth looking so clean. Plus, it got calcium and that's good for my bones. And I love the flavor. It tastes just like bubble gum. You know I love it. Vitamin-based kids, vitamin toothpaste. Save 50% of vitamins with vitamin-based kids. Vitamin-based kids, vitamin toothpaste. Save 50% of vitamins with vitamin-based kids. Um, so I'll get back to, to your, uh, your career and journey. So you, you mentioned before that after you left, uh, the Bronx, you bought a building in Howard beach, you started your, your second practice there, which you sold in 2001, very successful practice. Uh, and you actually haven't practiced in a clinical setting since then, although you did teach at NYU dental school for a while. Um, right. but for the most part at that point, you went into investing stocks, real estate, um, things like that. Uh, you even opened a restaurant. This is why I know you're a serial entrepreneur. You even opened a restaurant with your brother-in-law based on a, a place in Brooklyn that you guys grew up eating, right? The uh, Rolling yeah, Roaster Rolling in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. That was um, good for about five years. Uh, so, tough business. I always wanted to own a restaurant. I think everybody wants to open up a restaurant one time in their lives. Uh, but uh, it, it was just craziness, craziness for five years. I think the first three years we made money after that, you know, we really didn't. Um, at the end, when I sold it, I lost money on the restaurant and made money on the real estate. So kind of, kind of a wash yeah, kind of thing. So. Yeah. But yeah. I, but uh, you even at that point looked to potentially franchise the place off, right? Well, we did. We did. We sold one franchise yeah. uh, to our manager uh, at the time, but uh that didn't work out. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, and, and this is the thing for entrepreneurs that listen to the show. Again, I mentioned to you that this show is is based on leadership. So we have leaders, we have entrepreneurs that listen to the show. And um, the whole goal of this thing is, is just hearing unconventional journeys, right? Uh, for somebody to be able to listen to your story and go, hey, you know, I went through some of that shit. I grew up with nothing. I grew up in Brooklyn and, and maybe I can, you know, make something of myself. That's kind of why why we do this thing, why we want to produce something that, that sort of tells these stories. Um, and like you said, everybody, uh, everybody always wants to try something new. I think uh, most entrepreneurs out there do eventually want to open up some kind of food, food establishment or restaurant. I know for yeah. me, I grew up working in a deli. I started working in a deli when I was 11 years old. 
I worked there through college. It was like 10 years um, that I worked there. And I, to this day, I was just talking about it with my kids the other day. I will open up that deli again in, in Farmingdale at some point in my life. Um, what was, what was the reason besides it just being a tough business? What was the reason that, that you decided to, to walk away from it? Um, it really, I, it's just something that like I had enough of, you know, it was like, we had like three or four good years of fun with it. We had our office downstairs and the place would be crowded, you know, but, but just after a while, it just, we just had enough. It was, I wanted to move on, you know, so, uh, we sold it to a local deli guy over here. Um, he took it over. So, but I just had enough yeah. other things. It was time. Uh, and yeah. some of those other things, I know you've, you've always mentioned to me that you were into horses, both as a hobby and, and a business, of course, uh, successful with horses, you buy and sell claiming horses. Um, yeah. and it's a relationship that from, uh, I'm sorry, it's a hobby that from that hobby, you developed a relationship with somebody who was, um, sort of gave you the idea for, um, what you're doing now, right? If you want to tell that story. Yeah, well, um, I always like going to horse races, and uh, I was lucky enough to have the funds now uh, to get into thoroughbred horse racing. And uh, I hooked up with a couple of great trainers, and uh, we I got into the claiming game where you buy horses out of races, claiming races. Um, so you can buy them, sell them out of these races, and uh, quite well there, uh, treated like a business. I mean, I would have around 25 horses at a time, you know, so we'd be racing, you know, sometimes I'd be winning two, three races a day at, wow. at Delmont and Acura. So I was having the time of my life and uh, making a lot of money, you know, so uh, it's nothing better than that. But um, one of the guys that, uh, that I used to claim horses from, we used to claim from each other, by the way, uh, was a guy who owned um, vitamin water. Um, uh, and we saw how well he did. Help me for like four billion dollars. And uh, I saw, you know, just the way he did things. You know, put this together, uh, you know, vitamins in water kind of thing. Yeah, good idea. Something different. Um, you know, like a new category. In the beverage business, just like my father's uh, ready to drink iced tea was a brand new category in the beverage business. That's why I did well. Yeah. Um, and then we figured I would put vitamins in toothpaste, another uh, you know new category in the toothpaste uh, industry. So you know, that's kind, kind of, of where I got the idea. It's kind of cool to see uh, you know the the thing that you did. Uh, for a living when you started uh, in your professional career, sort of marrying your entrepreneurship and, and now developing into vitamin paste, which is what we're going to talk about now. So vitamin paste, um, you started it in 2009. And of course there were a couple of years of, of research and development, which took quite a while to get right. Um, you know, developing a product that not only would sell, but that works, right? Since there, there's a claim there. Um, yeah. You have three patents on vitamin toothpaste and one patent pending. Um, and of course, once it got off the ground, you got distribution all over the country, multiple supermarket chains, pharmacies, Harman, Bed Bath Beyond, even Target.com. Um, and now the, the focus has shifted a little bit to Amazon, like every mm -hmm. other business yeah. has. Um, yeah. What, what has that been like? You know, when I started working with you, it was really cool to see this whole um, supply chain uh, um, uh, process that you go through for, for distribution. And, you know, of course, we worked on getting uh, the vitamin paste name out there so that uh, uh, retailers out there would carry the product. And now it's sort of, hey, let's go direct to consumer and, and deal with right. Amazon. What has that shift been like for vitamin paste? Well, let me just say that, you know, um when we started, uh, when I started doing this, I had no idea how to make toothpaste, what the rules were, what the FDA, had, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, I had to start somewhere. I started with a chemist. I forgot how I even got chemist. Um, chemist, and we had to put together a formula 
and then the FDA has all these rules. It's pretty much a dietary supplement based. Um, and you need like a supplemental facts box on, on the back, like like little vitamins do. Um, so I got a good attorney out in Washington who used to work for the FDA. And uh, we put together all the claims that we were making. Uh, some of the claims we, we had to um, go through the dental school. I went to a, a University of Buffalo School of Dental Medicine. They have the best research teams there. Uh, they do a lot of uh, clinical studies for and Colgate. And um, they did the study for me. Uh, matter of fact, um, I'm a kid's toothpaste. Right here. Yep. So where kids get at least 50% of their daily vitamins just by brushing is direct, which is a pretty big claim. Um, but what they did um, was they took kids four and up. They had them brush according to the directions uh, for two minutes, minute on top. And they found out that the kids swallowing about 30% of their toothpaste. As a dentist, as a father, I knew that, you know, if kids like to taste their toothpaste, they're going to swallow a lot. And uh, so they, they found out 30% on an average. Wow. And that along with... Um, with uh, daily brushing, the amount of vitamins I put into the paste, we get the 50% claim. Um, and like I said, it's a dietary supplement. There's no drugs in there. Uh, fluoride is a drug. We have to take the drug out. It is fluoride free. Uh, instead of fluoride, we have biotol, which is um, um, a natural sweetener, but also has uh, dental benefits. And it fights against cavities. Differently than fluoride does, but at the end of the day, they both like in And there's no dyes, no preservatives in there. Great toothpaste, well done flavor. Uh, the adult is um, a little different. Adults swallow less. Uh, the clinical studies showed about 10%. So with the adult, you're getting um, extra vitamins um, every time you brush. Plus, the adult has uh, three minerals in it. Uh, also has the xylitol in there. Yeah. And it's a salmon flavor. So that's the, uh, the history of that. Yeah. Um, so once once I started with um, with getting the formula, going through the FDA stuff, you have to do expiration testing and everything. And I found this out as I was going. So um, at the end, when it was all done and ready to go, uh, then I have uh, a new job getting into the store. So, uh, you know, uh, I hired guys who know what they're doing uh, in this field and started uh, with the New York supermarket. And uh, from there, we expanded out nationally. Uh, we never really did a big, um, uh, we never did sales on Amazon. Um, I was just focusing on getting into the stores at right. the time, but times, times are changing, uh, especially this last year. And um, Started with Amazon, it's it's doing very well. Yeah, um, I, I'm happy to hear it. I've 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 watched this journey for the last few years since we worked with you, and uh, you know it's cool to see the product be a success, and not not only that, but actually seeing um, the product work and and the the response. I know we had done a, a campaign a while back with mom bloggers, um, where we were doing influencer campaigns and and sending this product out to mom bloggers and. You know the response from them was was awesome. I mean, the kids especially just loved brushing with it. Um, you know, between the taste and and the fact that it's good for them and their their parents are happy about that. What's well, better than that, right? So yeah, great product. Um, Vitaminpaste.com, guys, if you want more details on that. And then of course in the show notes, um, wherever else you can get it, Bruce will give me the links and I'll supply that in the show notes for you guys. Um, I want to just before we wrap up, I want to. Uh, uh, just move shift to a uh, personal a little bit. So looking back at, at, at your life, everything you've gone through coming from nothing, becoming self-made and then watching, you know, the, the tremendous success uh, of your father with Snapple and then doing it yourself in, in so many different ways. How do you bring those lessons home, you know, for your own kids? I, I know you mentioned before how different it was you growing up in Brooklyn and your kids growing up on long Island. Um, 
what what's the difference? Like, what are those lessons that you can bring to your kids now? Um, I, I think for my kids, yeah, I never made a big deal of the Snapple thing with them. And, you know, uh, I think that would be a good thing, you know, to to think of something special kind of thing, you know. So um, I always told my kids to, you know, I, I had them work hard. My kids always worked growing up. Uh, and, and the best job they ever had was the beach club over here in Atlantic Beach. They would work so hard. I mean, 13, 14 hour days, slapping the, uh, the, the chaise lounges, taking, taking all the bullshit from the people that, that they yeah. took, and they took it. And they made a lot of money, and, uh, and, and they got a lot of respect from people who like know who they are, and there's, you know, be like, you know, you guys don't have to do this, you know, but I instilled in them that, you know, they have to work hard for what they get. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that helps a lot. You know, I mean, my, my kids, one was a lawyer. You know, he went through uh, law school. The other one uh, works at real estate really hard. And then uh, my younger one's coming to dentist. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool to see. I'm I'm such a big legacy guy, right? I, I um, you know, especially with somebody who uh, I rose through my career in in the pharmacy industry so quickly uh, when I was younger, and really um, reached a pinnacle and sort of let everything blow up, um, and had to start over with everything. You know, failed marriage and and failed business, and just kind of had to start from the bottom and build it the right way. And now. You know, I have three kids and I've, and I've, you know, developed this, um, whatever, everything I do and, and, uh, a modicum of success. And for me, it's about just showing them, you know, how you do this the right way, how to live a good life, how to be a, a positive influence and, you know, and of course make money. So, um, my question to you is what's, what's your hope for your legacy? What is Bruce going to be remembered for? Um, I would say, being the best father, uh, best husband. I think those two things. Are, there you go. I mean, that's that's. I'm all for, I'm all about family. Yeah. That's what makes me happy. I don't need a lot of friends. I have a few friends. But I, you know, I, I like to be with my family. I don't yeah. have to go out with friends every day. Some, some of my friends will only go out every day with other friends. They they can't wait to get away from their family or uh, their kids. But, uh, I could spend 24 seven with them. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Last question before we move to the big three. Um, you know, we, we entrepreneurs, we, we work hard, right? So th there's gotta be some room for play in our, in our lives. What does that look like for you? What's, what is, what does Bruce play with? What, what's the hobby? What's the thing you, you love to do? Uh, I like my jet skis. I like uh, boating, fishing. Uh, I like barbecuing a lot. You know, the kids have their girlfriends and families are getting bigger now. Uh, so uh, I like my barbecuing and having all, all, all my uh, kids over. Not a big golfer, uh, even though I, uh, I joined the Sea Wing Club. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's mostly the water. I live on the water. So, you know, I have the jet skis in the backyard. And there you go. Something going on. Love it. All right. Let's do the big three. The big three. I'm gonna name a couple of things here. Which you're gonna do a few of these, just four or five. Uh, I'm gonna give you a category. You're gonna give me your top three for each one. Ready? Top three words. Top three. Uh, well, I'll, I'll call them out. So first one is, give me your three best. And I, I know it's hard to to name these sometimes. Your three, I would say, biggest professional accomplishments. Um, getting through dental school. Um, getting through all the research and development with my vitamin-based toothpaste, uh, and now also getting into the stores and more and more stores, increasing distribution. Yeah. So speaking of dentistry, three things, if, if there are three, right, if three things you miss about practicing dentistry. Three things I miss. Um, the old days. <laughs> yeah, those are the old days. 
Uh, I enjoyed being, the, uh, I miss the patients of some of them. I always liked that history. I can't think of two other things or specific things, but I, I, I always liked that history. And, you know, I, I liked the profession, like being with, the, um, with my peers and taking courses with them, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I can tell you the best restaurants I like. How's there that? you go. Give me your restaurant, sure. <laughs> uh, Peter Lugas, Brian and Cooper. This I'm good with. Peter Lugas, Brian and Cooper, Hendrix, all the places in the North Shore, or Molino. You know, I'm, more, I'm more of a Morton's guy than a Peter Lugas. Morton's is good too. I like yeah. them all. All right, last one. I, I know I've been over your house a couple of times, and you got some uh, some nice stuff in your garage there. Give me your three favorite classic cars. Well, I had a '82 uh, Corvette. I had two of them, which I sold recently. Uh, I have a 75 Caddy Eldorado. That's my favorite car. Uh, it's convertible, so I used to have a lot of them. And uh, my father has a, an old Rolls Royce. It was the first. He always wanted the Rolls Royce. Never drove it. Uh, but uh, that's a nice car, so we still have that car. Too. That's great. That's great. Uh Bruce Golden, thank you so much for coming on today. This was this was great. I think this is going to do a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs out there. Good to hear your story. And uh, everybody, vitaminpaste.com. Check out that products. Links are going to be in the show notes. Bruce, thank you for being here today. Okay, my pleasure. Hang on a Thanks second, Catcher, as soon as I do my outro here. Guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of The LaunchCast. We're back next week with episode 204 and every week after that you know how we do we'll see you next time guys Into the black thanks for listening to the launch cast today please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available follow me george andriopoulos at launchpad ceo on facebook twitter or instagram and make sure to visit our website guys thelaunchcast.com looking forward to the next episode see you soon guys